This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Several years ago, out back of one of the clubs in Boston, I saw a rat that was the size of a small dog. I have definitely seen a rat. Yeah, and it, it was funny because as we're walking out, the lead singer of one of the bands we were watching like saw the rat and just like freaked out. He's like, oh my God. Previously in Greater Boston. Don't I know you from somewhere? The news maybe? Nope. And they began their descent. Thanks for this opportunity. I appreciate you're still considering me after, well, fuck, you know. I like traveling around, seeing different parts of the city. Delivering food is perfect for that. I never gave those mole rats permission to use my likeness, my photographs, my wedding to sell more of the same on Redline. So it's time for a lawsuit. Redline. Arlington. And Cambridge. from Dorchester. Jamaica Plain. Hanson. Wellesley. Lowell. Redline. Worcester. Uh, I'm from Somerville. Peabody. Tuxbury. Roslindale. Andover. Dorchester. Framing Medford. This is. This is. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, episode 16, Extinction Event at the Olive Garden. What's the grossest thing you've seen in Boston? (laughs) You told me to share the first thing that comes to my mind, and I don't even want to share. Okay. I don't think I can say that one. (laughs) I don't think I can. Can I? You can say anything you want. Jesus Christ, okay. A diaper flying out of a street sweeper? (laughs) What? In the alley, someone pooping in this alley, I guess. I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, fecal matter on the side of the road that I know wasn't from, like, a dog or anything. There's... There's um there's areas of especially like on trash day you see trashes that leak everywhere and it just totally reeks up a whole you know uh, street or alley or whatever and uh, when they throw their trash out they try to like shoot the trash try to like make it like a basket or something and they just leave it there. Um, wait, people are walking by. I yeah. can't. My scene was a man just throwing up everywhere on the side, going up to the orange line. As I keep, as I kept walking away, he, I could still hear him choking up. It's just like, ugh. Um, on Blue Hill, a guy pulled out his penis and he was peeing on the sidewalk. I saw someone laying face first on one of those benches with the slats in it and peeing through the slats. Oh. Like I, I try to be an open-minded <laughs> person, but that oh. kind of. Yeah, that's wrong. Crossed a little line for me there. Yeah. It was a little... Is it odd that it, it wouldn't be the first time I've seen that either? Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't the first. I was walking past the guy in his car one day, and um, he was doing things that he should have done in private. And it was the most embarrassing thing, because when he saw me, he, like, frantically, like, tried to fix himself. And I'm like, there's no point, just keep going. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> have a jolly old time. <laughs> Forget it. Ugh, we used to leave late. Probably about 2 o'clock in the morning after the bar of the restaurant would close. And the alley would be filled with rats literally climbing the walls. Excuse me, miss? Were you there? Did you see... Oh, you're you. 
Of course I'm me. Who the fuck else would I be? I really shouldn't be surprised. I assume you witnessed the molasses incident? Which one? Uh, there was only one, wasn't there? Well, if we're talking about molasses incidents, the first one has to be the flood of 1919. I mean, that took out the whole North End. Two million gallons of molasses flooding out the whole neighborhood like some fucking shit brown tsunami. It took down the elevated tracks. 21 people died. Can you imagine drowning in fucking molasses? What a donkey ball's way to go, right? But anyway, if we're gonna call anything a molasses incident, it's gotta be that. This one down on the train was baby shit by comparison. You sure know a lot about the molasses flood. I work in the North End. When I get bored, I read the plaques. But anyway, I get that you're not asking if I was at the molasses incident of 1919. I mean, I'm not even old enough to drink legally. Obviously, I wasn't surfing the molasses wave through the North End 100 years ago. Obviously. But I think it's important to get the facts straight. For the official story, the first molasses incident happened in 1919. I mean, those 21 unlucky fuckers who got their asses candied like life-size gummy bears deserve to have their memories fucking respected, right? Uh, sure. But what you really want to know is whether I was at the second molasses incident, the molasses incident of Andrew's station. Right. No, I wasn't there. Oh, so... But I was at the third incident. There was no third incident. Well, yeah, thanks to me. Okay, you know what? Let's just start at the beginning. Well, this was on Tuesday, the day after the Andrew incident. And I'm at Downtown Crossing with Pizzito, this tagger I know, who does these amazing conceptual murals. Like, you know those murals where there's a little bit of the image on one building and then another little bit on another building, and it's spread out across like 20 buildings, and you have to go stand at just the right spot, look at it from just the right angle to see the whole thing, but then once you see it, like really see it, it suddenly turns into this amazing balls-out artwork that just fills the whole city block. And you're just like, fuck. Because... What else can you say, right? Well, he does shit like that. I was kind of seeing Pizzito at the time, so we were running around downtown crossing together looking for shit to get into. At the time? Wasn't this like two days ago? Yeah. Two days is a long fucking time in teen romance. Keep the fuck up, Grandpa. So anyway, we're done with downtown, and we decide to hop the subway over to Cambridge to get a bowl of ramen at Porter. Not that super trendy place around the corner from the square where they yell at you if you don't finish your soup. You can't even get in there, and I've got enough shitheads yelling at me for enough bullshit without having some soup douche bite my asshole for not finishing my noodles. No, we go to the old place in the exchange building. Or anyway, that's where we would have gone if we'd ever actually gotten on the train, but we never did, because I got sidetracked down in the station. Before we got through the turnstiles, I noticed something weird up the hall. Like there's this parade of subway rats, right out in the open, middle of the day. And they can be brave little fuckers, but not usually like that. Not so many of them. So I'm like, come on, Pizzito. We gotta go see what those little guys are up to. And he's like, what the fuck, Mallory? We're gonna go follow a bunch of rats through the subway? And I'm like, well, yeah, duh. And I just go, and he comes with. We follow the rat parade down the hall to where there's this door to, like, a maintenance closet. Or that's what it looks like. And it's obviously supposed to be locked, but the lock is broken, and the door's just kind of open a little. And the rats are pouring in there. So naturally, I'm like, oh, dude, we gotta see what's going on in there. Like, the rats are having some kind of crazy rodent rave or something, and I've gotta see it. But Pizzito's being a little bitch about the whole thing. Like, he's all, no fucking way, Mallory. No fucking way am I walking through an underground door in the subway that I know leads to some dark disease buffet of filthy sewer-crawling plague rats. And I'm like, Pizzito, shut your fuckhole. These are my friends. And he's like, no, Mallory, they're fucking rats. And so that's when I told him that if he was going to be that much of a little dick shit, then he can just fuck off out of my life. So then I went into the rat closet, and I haven't talked to him since. So anyway, 
The rat closet was fan-fucking-awesome. There had to be a thousand rats in there, all over the place, crawling all up and down the walls, the floor, the pipes, everywhere. Most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like, I was really tempted to just throw myself in and let them wash over me, you know? I mean, I realize that's a terrible idea, and they'd get totally hurt if I did that. But it was still super tempting. Then the next thing I realize, there's all this plumbing and machinery in there. It's got some kind of valve control system, like it's some sort of waterworks, and it's all hooked up to this huge tank. But the tank doesn't fit, you know? Like, everything looks 90 years old, all rust and ratchet and like that. But the tank looks like it was installed yesterday. It's brand new. And it's hooked into the pipes like it's interrupting the normal flow. Like, the usual water supply has been cut, and this tank has been put in its place. And then I realized two things. First off, there's this funky odor, right? But like, a familiar odor. I know it. Like I said, I work in the North End, and you can't spend much time in the North End without learning that odor. It's fucking molasses, just like we've got all over the streets where I work. It's a huge tank of fucking molasses, and it's got a crack in it, and there's some molasses leaking out, which is what the rats are there for. They're all bonkers for it. And the plumbing it's hooked into? It's the goddamn fire suppression system. Like someone's cut the sprinklers off from the water supply and replaced it with this molasses. And so I'm like, holy fuck I've got to tell someone about this. It's like the whole, if you see something, say something. And I realize that mostly that's just about them wanting you to be racist fuckheads. Like, they just want you to see some Muslim dude praying and be all like, but this is like actually something, and I'm the only one who's seen it. So I've got to tell someone before something fucked up happens. Like, if there were actually a fire and the sprinklers started raining molasses down, you know what that would do to people? Like, Jesus fuck, I can't even think about it. So I went straight to security, and I told them what I found. And they didn't want to listen to me, like I'm just some stupid kid. How's anything I have to say going to matter? But I didn't let them go. I kept telling them. And once I said molasses, and they thought about what had just happened at Andrew, they got fucking serious and off their asses. So I made sure they knew where to look, and then I cheesed it out of there. And now here we are, with everyone fine, and no rain of molasses, because I followed the fucking clues. You're welcome. I swear, I saw him one night. We were pulling into Harvard Square. There's this old red line train on an unused track. Super old. Like, older than Harvard old. Well, not that old. That's kind of ridiculous. But, uh, you know what I mean. Anyway, I swear, I saw the mayor in there. The mayor of the red line. He was packing. Packing up a suitcase, swear to God. Anyway, I swear, I saw the mayor in there. You know how slow the red line takes that turn? Slow as mole- Uh, oh god, um... Slow as a, uh, an elephant. Uh, a turtle, a, a tortoise. Uh, there we go. A tortoise. It's a big turn is what I'm saying. I was always a fan of the other Linda Coolidge. The one who was there the day it all went down. The one who led people through the molasses. And I used to work with her. She's the one I want. She's the one I want as mayor. Hi. You've reached the voicemail of Michael Tate at the editorial office of Political Prognostication. I'm not at my desk right now, which is pretty unusual, really. Most of the time, I'm here, unless I'm at lunch. That's probably it. You probably called while I'm at lunch, or sleeping. 
Or maybe I'm just on the other line. Though I'm not sure who else would be calling me. That'd be wild, right? Me getting two phone calls at once? There are like only two people who would ever call me in the first place. Well, just one, actually. So, yeah. Uh, Louisa. I assume it's you. Go ahead and leave a message, and I'll call you when I get back from lunch. Bye. Um, hey, Michael, this is Louisa. I, I've got an odd question for you. Y you know I've been looking into some things for Gemma Linzer Coolidge, m mainly trying to find that lost paperweight. Crystal ball! Um, anyways, that's not what I'm calling about. I I'm actually calling about some of the articles you've been writing for the political prognostication. Gemma's been following them. You're not uh, half the fuck up I'd hoped you were. And and she's very impressed with the quality of your work. But we were wondering about your sources. I told her I that I know you and said that I'd see if you talk about it. And I know you use, like, um... Bullshit? Divinatory... Divinatory um, bullshit. Divinatory stuff to write your articles. But a couple of weeks ago, you wrote about how the red line was about to find itself in a sticky situation. Fucking puns. I would never let you get away with fucking puns if I was still your manager. And and that was meaningless. Like, that could be anything, right? It's just still this vague silliness. But then that thing with the molasses happened, and obviously that was just a coincidence, right? I mean, it has to be. But it was weirdly specific coincidence, you know? So, so now, in this latest issue, you've got this article about a third candidate. Somebody who's new entering the race for mayor of the red line and and you don't name anyone specifically but you have a lot of other details like you give the date that they're going to announce their candidacy and you say that the red line will recognize a familiar face entering the fray fucking chelmsworth isn't it coming back to screw us again so we were just wondering if you, if this was legit like if you've got some actual information i mean is this some ra usual random nonsense or do you actually know something Be because here's the thing we know that there's been money moving around and at first we thought it was su supporters for isabel powell but we can't find any connections to her, so it has to be someone else. Please tell me it's Chelmsworth so I can find him and punch him. There's a pack calling itself the face of the red line pack. So, so again, that phrasing. I'll punch him right in his tweed fucking face of red line. It, it just, it could be a coincidence, but it's a weirdly specific coincidence. So yeah, if there's anything you could tell us, especially if you've got some leads on who else might be entering the race, we, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great catching up with you, Michael. I hope things are going well at Third Sight. Please let us know if you can tell us anything. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll, I'll talk to you later. These days, Nico was managing an olive garden. Obviously. Of course. That's where the rest of the Weimaraners had ended up. Her long-ago bandmates who had failed to make anything of themselves. So why shouldn't Nika expect to find herself working in the very same metaphor for absolute failure as the rest of the Neverwares in her life? At least she'd avoided landing in New Jersey. To compound her bottoming out, she wasn't working in just any Olive Garden. She was working in the Food Truck Olive Garden. The mobile Olive Garden that roamed Boston stalking drunk tourists and drunk students and other drunk people who had somehow made it all the way to adulthood without ever learning what chicken parmesan is supposed to look like. She had to laugh, thinking of how Leon had once described Olive Garden to her. It's where you take your family for an Italian dinner because you secretly hate them. Leon was as much of a stickler about food as he was about anything else. But she had to give him credit. He was a stickler for quality. And he was a hell of a cook. She missed his cooking. Even the beets. Plenty of dietary fiber in beets. They're great for keeping you regular. Today she was stationed in the North End, Boston's historic Italian district, 
home to dozens of Italian restaurants owned by actual Italian people. It should have been a nice place to be. She'd have loved to take a break for some marzipan rainbow cookies at Mike's Pastry, except that Mike's Pastry wouldn't let her through the door. Nika and her rolling olive garden were not welcome in North End. When North Enders came yelling at her to get out, asking if she wasn't thoroughly ashamed of herself, Nika answered them honestly. That mostly just left them confused, but at least they took their disgust and went home. But whatever, she had a job. She had a purpose. She had all the free, flash-frozen fried lasagna nuggets she could stomach. Hey, boss lady, I could use some help here. The lunch mob is about ready to climb through my ass to get to the slop trough. And she had an employee. This frenetic little tornado of vulgarity and enthusiasm who did a far better job of keeping the customers at bay than the food did. Nika made no attempt to rein Mallory in. On the contrary, when the girl dropped a half dozen F-bombs in the interview, Nika hired her on the spot. Best decision Nika's made in a long time, frankly. So Nika set Mallory up at the window while she herself handled the cooking and occasionally just hid out in the truck's cab away from the customers. You better not be getting baked back there again. I'm not. She is, but... She crushes it out at Mallory's scolding. Nika hadn't counted on this kid's irritating diligence and puritanism about minor narcotics. Mallory already lost one job to secondhand exposure. Why should she jeopardize her medical career just so my sister can wallow? Hey, your friend's in line. The dippity douche who consoles the sandwiches? He's not my friend. The dippity douche was a guy called Extinction Event Paletti, an editor at some bullshit fortune-telling publisher. But she got up as soon as she heard he was in the line. He wasn't there for the food, which he never touched. He was there as a go-between. He works for Oliver West. He worked for that guy, the man on the roller coaster, who had interesting work to be done. Interesting work for Nika. Work that could change things. Work that had purpose. Oh, Nika. Mallory stared poison into the guy's heart from the counter. She'd taken as instant a disliking to extinction event as Nika had ever seen one person take to another. So, are you her dealer or what? No, I'm not her dealer. You think I look like a drug dealer? That's outrageous! Shame on you. Don't you even realize that you're the dealer here? A death dealer. You're a meat-slinging death merchant. Okay, extinction event. Leave my employee alone. Your employee is in desperate need of an astral realignment. Have you even seen her aura? It's puce. What? Puce! A sort of purplish-brown. Yeah, dude, whatever. Your face will be puce once I put my knuckles through your shit-nibbling teeth enough times. You want to go or what? (gasps) Violence! You're calling for violence? I shouldn't even be surprised. It's to be expected from someone bound into this sort of occupational environment. But I suppose I just have a bad habit of expecting better of people. I expect people to do more to rise above their circumstances. Oh my god, just stop. What do you want? You need to take a meeting. You don't have to take the meeting. Who will? You can say no. You can do something else. I haven't the slightest idea. Info's in the envelope. When you're done, you can drop your report in one of the tubes. Mallory, can you handle things on your own here for a bit? Fuck no. Great, I'll be back later. Do you crave elegance? I do. Do you crave a unique wedding memory to cherish for the rest of your life? I do. Do you crave a wedding that reflects you, your home, your city? I do. A wedding that moves at the speed of life? I do. 
Redline is proud to offer civil ceremonies for any budget in the station or car of your choice. Whether you're looking for a boisterous Big Red blowout or a refined Harvard Square processional. And for that extra touch of prestige, the first ten weddings booked will be officiated by Acting Mayor Lindsay Coolidge herself. Hello, I'm Charlotte Lindsay Coolidge, Acting Mayor of Red Line, and I want you to experience the wedding of your dreams here in Red Line, where we keep dreams on track. Do you want your matrimonial dream to come true? In Redline? I do. 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 Wensley Dale. Edem. Gorgonzola. Camembert. 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 Well, Ethan, that lawyer was perfectly useless. Perfectly. I explained the whole thing to him, how that horrible person had taken our photos, our wedding photos, our personal images, and sold them to the government to blow them up for commercial purposes to promote their absurd redline wedding service. He says we signed a contract that grants full ownership of the images to the photographer, that she can use them however she likes because she's the artist and they're her images. Artist? As if! It was our weddings, our decorations, our beautiful faces. If there was any artist involved, it was me. I'm the one that created the whole bridalscape that she photographed. She didn't create anything, she just took pictures of what I created. But that useless lawyer tells me it doesn't matter. I signed a contract. I don't have a case. As if I don't know that I signed a contract. As if I wasn't there with the pen in my hand personally signing the contract that he feels he needs to remind me that I signed. So I patiently explained to him, it's not just the images, it's the weddings. They're renting out the trains for weddings to anybody. But that was my idea. Marrying on the subway, that was me. Camembert. Well, us, sweetie, of course. But mostly me. The point is, it's our original idea, our intellectual property. I explained it to him very clearly. If anyone else wants to get married on the subway, they need to license that idea from us. And maybe we'll let them, and maybe we won't, depending on the particular couple and whether their association will tarnish the dignity of our own nuptials. But the point is, the city can't just go letting randos use our wedding concept willy-nilly without compensating us. And do you know what that perfectly useless lawyer did? He laughed at me. The nerve on him. So we'll just have to keep looking. Don't worry, sweetie. It's just a matter of time. We'll find the right person to take our case. Can I help you? Emily Bespin? Yes? I have a letter for you from a party interested in your legal case against the city of Redline. How does this party know about my legal case? I haven't discussed it publicly. He has a complex network of informers all over the city. How very sinister. You smell like pot. Are you some sort of bike courier? Uh, I took the bus, actually. Ugh. Do you want your message or not? Who's it from? No one you'd know of, but you really should read it. I think you'll find it addresses a bunch of your recent problems. Very well. You might as well come in. Please use the hand sanitizer by the door before you touch anything. And please only sit on the blue furniture. Pink is for family. Maybe I'll just stand. Suit yourself. Now, what's this message? Here you go. 
Dear Mrs. Bespin, I have been following with great interest your efforts to file legal proceedings against the city of Redline, pursuant to the appropriation of your wedding photos and matrimonial service concept. I can certainly appreciate your reluctance to see your image and ideas co-opted in this way. Of course, these efforts are undoubtedly going to fail. You are clearly intelligent enough to see that you have no legal standing, and only the most tenuous ethical standing. You know this. It is only your precarious financial situation that prevents you from seeing it clearly. A situation that drives you to desperate action. I urge you to abandon this course before you find yourself publicly embarrassed. Lampooned on some late-night talk show, branded the Red Line Bride, who thinks she can lay claim to the right to hold weddings. It will benefit you not at all, and you will regret this course deeply. I tell you this as a would-be friend. This fellow's concept of friendship is rather brusque, isn't it? I wouldn't know. I'm just an employee. Yes, of course. I hope you'll forgive my brusqueness. But it is essential that we dispense with this silly lawsuit business before we move on to more serious prospects. Because that is what I am contacting you about today. Serious prospects. I am very much aware of your financial needs, and I am also aware of your ambition and intelligence, your education and pedigree, what's more. I am very acutely aware that you have accidentally become one of the most visible faces in Redline, due entirely to the purloined imagery that adorns so many billboards throughout the city. There are only a handful of people who could lay claim to being the face of Redline, but Ms. Linzer Coolidge's subway wedding service has made you one of those people. Ms. Bespin, you are the face of Redline, and so... It is a much shorter journey than you might think to expand that title into something greater. Something with real power and real prestige. Redline is in disarray. It is a disaster. The city's mayor abandoned it before they'd even finished counting the votes. The current frontrunner for mayor was merely an assistant. An unemployed cartoonist dabbling in politics to occupy her idle hands. And she is ill-equipped for the mantle of leadership, and she is tainted by her association with the betrayer who left the city to eat itself. So, who will oppose her? Only one challenger has stepped forward so far, an uneducated agitator with no qualifications. And is that all? Is that the only competition she will face? It would be a travesty if it were true. If she faced no serious opposition. If no qualified opponent stepped up to face her. To offer a real alternative. A woman with real vision. And real understanding of systems of power. Can you think of anyone who might make a preferable candidate? for this newly formed political office? Because I can. She is reading this letter right now. 
you are already the face of Red Line. I intend to make you the mayor of Red Line. I will underwrite your campaign personally. I will secure your new home, a luxury Red Line apartment to establish residency in your mayoral district. I will provide you with the necessary staff and resources. Most vitally to you in the immediate, I will take that entire Wonderland debacle off your hands entirely, covering all your losses. I can make this happen. But I need your decision today. Give your answer to my agent. She is waiting. You need only speak one word of affirmation. And then, we will begin. Well, Ethan, sweetie, pack up your robots. We're done with Wonderland. We're moving to Redline. Camembert. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. You can support Greater Boston through our Patreon campaign or by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. This episode featured Tanya Milojevic as Wanda, Jeff Van Driesen as Chuck Octagon, Joanna Bodnick as Mallory, James Oliva as Michael Tate, Julia Propp as Luisa Alvarez, Lydia Anderson as Gemma Linzer Coolidge, Kelly McCabe as Nika Stamatis, James Capabianco as Extinction Event Paletti, David Reinstrom as the Red Line Wedding Pitchman, Summer Unsen as Charlotte Linzer Coolidge, Sam Musher as Emily Bespin, and Mike Linden as Oliver West. With Mark Harmon, Tanya Milojevich, Lydia Anderson, Jim Johansson, and Rick Coast as additional wedding voices. Interviews conducted with real Greater Boston residents. Charlie on the MTA, both versions recorded by Emily Peterson and Dirk Tiedy. Golden Slippers by Adrienne Howard, Emily Peterson, and Dirk Tiedy. Drums by Jim Johansson. Tarantella performed by the U.S. Air Force Band. Discordant Electronica by Broke Yeti. Like, they just want you to see some Muslim dude praying and be like, wait. Like, they just want you to see some Muslim dude praying and be all like, durr, durr, durr. <laughs> <laughs> The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Meet Pia Casely, a journalist with a nose for a good story. Did you know who the last person to interview Julie Capsum was? Me. Meet Brenda Bentley, a dogged detective with a case she can't let go. Nobody came closer than I did, and that's why I was kicked off the force. Together, they solve the cold cases no one else can. That's when things got weird. And we haven't even gotten to the torso yet. If they don't kill each other first, that is. Well, you've got another thing coming. You know, I think it's you've got another thing coming. Or perhaps there's something else between them. Well, if the feeling's mutual, call it a mutual feeling. Arden. A podcast about crime, romance, and everything else. Season 1 and 2 now available. Brought to you by Wayface Industries. The good people.